Good morning once again everyone and welcome to All Things Russell on Laker Country 104.9 WJRS Jeff Hoover along with Tony Kerr as today we bring you another edition of All Things Russell and uh, Tony seems like a lot of things in our community and in our county and we're going to talk about some of those uh, this morning. We're going to talk about uh, the school situation in light of Governor Andy Bashir's uh, executive order earlier this week, uh, we're going to talk with Superintendent Michael Ford uh, tonight. Big night for Laker football as they start postseason play. And also earlier this week, the uh, High School Athletic Association decided to delay the start of basketball season until January the 4th. Uh, high school basketball was scheduled to get underway next week, but that's now been delayed. And we're going to talk with Athletic Director Michael Carpenter about some of those issues as well as the football postseason. And then uh, also a special guest about driver's licensing. Yeah, we're going to talk to Matt Cole, who is the Director of Driver Licensing for the uh, Commonwealth of Kentucky. We're going to talk about the, uh, the regional offices that they are opening and uh, how they are going to start phasing driver's license out of the circuit clerk's office. And that's something that's been in the works, Jeff, as you know, for quite some time. And I anticipate, and we'll, we'll hear from Matt, but uh, that's probably going to happen uh, over the summer. Uh, we are right between two regional offices here in Russell County. I'd hoped we would get one, but uh, the regional office uh, where you will eventually go to get your driver's license or your ID, or, uh, Somerset has one, and uh, Columbia has one. But uh, we're going to talk to Matt about that and about that uh, phase out and how it, how it's all going uh, with driver's license right now. Yeah, and we had hoped to talk today about uh, the annexation issue uh, that's ongoing between the city of Jamestown and the city of Russell Springs. We invited uh, both mayors, uh, Eddie Thomas of Russell Springs and Nick Shear of Jamestown, uh, to be on the program and talk with us. Uh, not in an argumentative, controversial way, just share with people their respective positions and on behalf of their cities. And uh, unfortunately, Tony, both of those uh, men declined uh, to be on the program. We do know the city of Jamestown passed earlier this week the first reading of the annexation ordinance where they will annex uh, what is known as the old airport property. Uh, which was recently purchased by the Industrial Development Authority and uh, apparently going to have a second reading on that annexation uh, next month. And the city of Russell Springs, as we understand it, is opposed to that. And there are some issues uh, between the two towns. And so we had hoped to at least have a question about that and educate the, the folks of both communities. But uh, again, the mayors uh, declined their invitation, so uh, there may be other avenues later that we can explore and share with our listeners on that issue as it continues to move forward. Yeah, and it looks like Jamestown is uh, moving right ahead with that annexation on that property, uh, working with the, the county and the Industrial Development uh, Authority uh, in, in getting that property, so uh, uh, Russell Springs disagrees with it. There's a, a little problem there. Remains to be seen whether or not this will wind up in court. Well, I think it's fair to say Jamestown uh, took the first step. Uh, they were uh, quick to the draw, if you will, in uh, in uh, uh, getting the survey done and, and having the ordinance prepared and having the first reading uh, at the council meeting. So uh, there you go. I, I don't know all of the issues. Uh, that is why we had hoped that our mayors would accept our invitation and would see it as an opportunity to educate people on the issue, but they chose not to. So uh, as things develop in that situation, Tony and I will bring those to you here on All Things Russell. This morning we have Superintendent Michael Ford on the phone uh, with us. And uh, before we talk with Mr. Ford, if you do have a question for him uh, or for us, uh, just send us an email to allthingsrussell at lakercountry.com. Allthingsrussell at lakercountry.com. If you have a question uh, for Mr. Ford, 
uh, or you can text us a question at 270-858-9001. Mr. Ford, good morning to you. Good morning. We know uh, it's a it's it's a crazy time, and probably no more crazy for anyone than you as superintendent of schools. Well, maybe so, but it's it's we're, you know everybody's doing the best that they can, and we're educating kids, and we're feeding kids, and and life goes on. And somebody made a good good statement the other day that we have to um, quit using COVID as an excuse for doing things and getting things done. I like that. <laughs> that is pretty good. Um, you made a decision uh, a couple of weeks ago and followed up again last week that Russell County Schools would be virtual and you would make that decision each Friday based on the numbers. The governor this week uh, issued an executive order regarding high school, middle school, and elementary school. Tell us what effect that order and what that means for Russell County Schools. Well, for everybody, uh, elementary, middle, and high, starting Monday, that, that decision is off the table as to whether or not it was, it was a local decision because everybody, as you all know, be virtual through December the 7th. Um, what's different uh, about this kind of the um, eighth ranges is after the December 7th, if your county's not in the red, uh, your elementary schools can, can return to in-person instruction or the option of that because many parents have elected to stay virtual. But elementary and middle must remain virtual through uh, January the 4th. And so, of course, that's our return from um, Christmas break anyway is that January the 4th date. So we have, for Russell County Schools, we have the potential option of returning to in-person classes beginning the uh, December the 7th week, pending Russell County's not in the red. But I, I, I hate to make this prediction, but I'm along with many other, uh, many, many, not other, but many health officials note that due to Thanksgiving and, of course, the rising spikes of cases that we had right now, I don't see Russell County not being in the red come December the 7th. I hope I'm absolutely wrong, but I think that Thanksgiving activities will increase the number of the spread and based upon our current numbers to be honest if i was going to make a prediction and be a betting man i'd say the option for in-person classes for russell county is probably off the table until after uh, christmas break but we will see yeah and i think uh, you're, you're go ahead no, i was going to say we would explore the option keep it on the table for elementary if we were happened to not be in the red but then you also look at some inconsistencies of, you know, is that an issue for families if elementary is going and middle and high schools uh, not going? And, and that's not as big an issue because middle and high can oftentimes, you know, stay by themselves at home and don't require uh, adult supervision. So, Let me ask you, Mr. Ford, you hear some people say, wouldn't it be better uh, or is there a possibility you just go ahead now and say all students, all schools, all grade levels, virtual until after the first of the year so that everyone can go ahead and make plans for the next six weeks and not have to wait till this December 7th date. Is that a possibility? That is a possibility, and we've talked about that, and I'm going to you know, further make that discussion. I'm, I'm not ready to make that just right now just for the fact that our elementary schools and our high school, middle school, of course, again, that's not on the table for them, but they've not got to be in person at four days. But it is it is likely um, that a decision such as that will be made. It'll, it'll either be this. It'll be that no, um, we are, no one's going to return back to January the 4th, or I will tell families that we will make a decision on whether or not elementary is going to come, depending upon the, the county. And that's probably that will certainly come before December the 7th. Michael, some of the issues that you had earlier, uh, that parents were having difficulty uh, w with children picking this up and, you know, the Internet connection, have uh, have you addressed a lot of those? They're still having uh, some of those concerns. 
uh, no, with the devices, Tony. Of course, you know, everybody has a Chromebook or an iPad, and some families have elected not to take those devices. They have their own device and maybe wouldn't, you know, don't want to take responsibility for taking a school issue device, and that, that's fine. Um, that and working with Dual County, uh, Dual Broadband, and uh, Bluegrass Cellular, I do not think that internet connectivity is an issue anymore. Uh, uh, Mr. Bell was shared with me yesterday. We've still got a few MiFi devices left, and we're working with Dual County, uh, Dual Broadband. I'm trying to do better there. Of, um, of folks, we've got a little pot of federal money. If um, if folks have a student that is eligible for free and reduced lunch, and they picked up service related to needing to provide virtual instruction for their child. Um, we're working with dual broadband on contacting some families that may now be behind on their internet service bill to where we've got some that last mile internet funding that we can help folks with. But to my knowledge, we do not have any families now or, or they just slip through the cracks that do not have internet connectivity or do not have a device. So that, that, that Those Chromebooks seem to be a whole lot uh, more user-friendly for these young people. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes, absolutely. And again, it doesn't take a very, it doesn't take the top tier speed for Google Classroom at all. Um, when we were initially working on all through this, uh, Bill Robert and set us up a 1.5 megabyte connection, which is very slow, but noting that that would be the slowest anybody had in the county. And some of our tech uh, crew, they went and tested Google Classroom platform on that 1.5 megabyte speed at Duo. And, um, and it worked. You know, it may lag a little bit at times, and some videos may still lag, but they can certainly still complete assignments and things like that. So anywhere in the county, that should um, that should not be an, an issue now. That coupled with the um, Bluegrass Cellular MiFi devices that we have uh, purchased and set up. Mr. Ford, I know uh, there's been some discussion about students not doing their work virtually, and uh, I know at at different schools it's been a major major concern of some students just ignoring what they need to do and not getting it done and uh, the school system has taken some very aggressive steps to help ensure that those students get their work done and they are performing and they are responding to the virtual classroom could you share with us what the district is doing with regard to those students who are just haven't been participating, for lack of a better word? Yeah, and that's not a, um, I'll say this first, that's certainly not just a Russell County um, issue. My superintendent friends, we've shared and discussed that um, a lot, that uh, we, have that, we have that issue ac across the Commonwealth, unfortunately. Um, I give credit here to right. our... Um, certainly to our administrators and um, Mrs. Dameron, our director of people personnel and, and our teachers and school resource officers never work for it's been a tiered approach if you will so obviously you know the front line is certainly the teacher and reaching out and saying um, I've got a few of those text messages myself you know Kobe has not completed this and so those things happen sometimes but um, so the communication first needs to happen with the with the teacher, and they've been doing a really, really good job with that. And then it's kind of escalated from there. So if we're not getting responses and students are still not doing well, and, and I don't, I mean, just being blunt, we had a large number of, well, maybe I won't say large, but across the spectrum, a number of students that had failing grades on that first report card was very alarming to, um, to all of us. And principals prior to that, though, and, and are continuing to do so, have even created videos to where they were text to parents and said, you know, if you're getting this video, that means your child has an F. If you're getting this video, that, mean, that means, you know, your child might have two Fs. And in addition to that, especially for those that we have received no um, communications, you noted that, Jeff, of, of, you know, students are just not logging in. Teachers can tell on the platform if students are logging in, if they're completing assignments and things like that that we've done a whole lot of home visits. And again, our principals and guidance counselors and family resource and Mrs. Dameron, um, we're still knocking on doors, um, you know, using their mask and keeping our distance and things like that. But they're still making those home visits 
to have that one-on-one interaction. And and we've also done some things, and the Fund Resource Center really came up with this. Is they had a session to where one of our teachers, Miss Walters, at Russell Springs Elementary School, they had a night session, and they opened that up to uh, foster parents and grandparents and just really some parents that um, wanted to know more how to monitor their child on Google Classroom and how can they tell if the child just hit a submit a button and didn't really attach something. And, you know, how do they know that their student is not doing their work? And so that was really great, and I appreciate our family resource and youth service centers um, working with folks and making that happen. So it's it's a really, a, like I said, a, a tiered system and a myriad of different things that folks are, are implementing to make that work because it is, it is very concerning, and that's a conversation we have with the administrative team a lot. It's a number of students that are not working because, as Tony's referencing, Internet connectivity and devices – those barriers have been removed. You know, that's no longer the case. And I think it's important for people to understand that initially there were some barriers for Internet connectivity and, and those issues, but by and large, all of those have been resolved, and we still have some students, for whatever reason, are not participating. And... What I was referring to is that Miss Dameron in the school district, on behalf of the school district, in those most egregious cases where there's just almost a total lack of participation, the school district is is pursuing uh, educational neglect action against those parents or custodians. And, and uh, I know that's something that is a last resort but it is being done on several occasions right now. Yeah, and there's some, uh, most of those cases involve some other issues um, as well. Oftentimes, as is the case, and Mrs. Dameron has preached this for years, like, for instance, truancy, and you know this from being in court, truancy in and of itself is usually not the root cause of, of an issue. Oftentimes there's other issues going on in the family that, that comes out. It's oftentimes it's never just a child just doesn't come to school. And that's the only issue. There's something else going on. And with these cases as well, right. where children are not performing and the families find themselves in court, which is not where we want them to be. You know, nobody wants that to happen. And when when uh, a principal and family resource center or a resource officer or somebody is visiting the family now, um, it's it is totally out of concern. It's not it's not as you know in, intended to be a threat or anything like that. It's just that we have responsibility, right? We're educators. We have responsibility to make certain kids are getting educated even during this pandemic. But you are correct. There are some families that that, that find themselves every year in, in the court system, and that's no different um, right now. And we have a responsibility, have a legal obligation um, to, um, to take those measures. And Mr. Shear's office is great to work with, um, you know, as, as the court system is, and DCBS, and it's a partnership when we do those things, and, and, and at the end of the result, it's just because we want the child to get an education. And, well, and you need to point out, you know, all truancy laws are still in effect. There's nothing been changed with all of this because of the pandemic. Yeah, kids still have to learn. Um, one thing that is, and I get this a lot from parents, is, is the attendance issue. And, and attendance in and of itself, as it was in previous years, is not calculated the same or, or counted the same with the state as it has been in times past. It's now referred to as participation. And so in Infinite Campus, our student information system, um, participation has to be recorded for each student um, every day. And even for the upper grades, it's recorded by period. And so participation can be a lot of different things. It can be that the students logged in that day. They've had some kind of correspondence with the teacher that day. The teachers talked to them on the phone that day. So it's a lot of different things. It's not necessarily that the child has done work, per se, because I, I liken it to the fact that I may, I may be in a classroom with my teacher during the day, and so I'm present, but I didn't do any work that day. That's separate from grades and work, but it's called participation just at the fact that the child participated, did something to know that they were engaged that particular day. So we can go on a child's um, infinite campus participation, what used to be attendance in, in previous years, and you can look period by period for, for middle school and high school kids and see if the teacher um, noted that the child had a, 
again, they participated in some capacity with that class. And oftentimes Mr. Ford, one of the things that... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, I just want to say teachers can... One of the things that we see and, and we talk about about is the accountability grades. Uh, there are certain grades, as most people know, where testing takes place, and that is considered the accountability grades within the school district. Has there been discussion among superintendents and others about changing those accountability standards next year and maybe the year after because of the modified school uh, year that we've had and the virtual learning is are, are all districts still going to be held to the same standard or are we looking at some modifications in that uh, as of right now they are still telling us to expect some type of assessment and of course what part of that is governed by is whether or not there is a waiver from that requirement from the state because a lot of it is driven, I mean, from the federal level. A lot of that is driven from it was no child left behind and then the elementary secondary um, um, success act or, or ESSA, um, and that drives those federal accountability and those assessments and those accountability that you're, you're referencing. So last year there was a waiver of that, and in turn the state waived that. Um, not to bring in politics with this, and part of that will change in administration and the uh, federal education department and the secretary with that will probably drive a lot of that um, we've been told from the state level maybe to accept to um, expect some type of assessment but it will not be part of accountability it's kind of what we're hearing right now um, but again that a lot of that depends upon the federal level and whether or not they you know that's weight that that i fully expect my opinion that the state will um will waive again probably the federal the accountability part at the state level it's whether or not it's mandated from the federal level to do that we we will not um you know even our local assessments and map and all those things like that there's some opportunities to do that by um remote and and push those out web-based but um you know, you have to think about the accuracy of those types of things. And so just the logistics during the pandemic to have students assessed and to, to put accountability with that, um, I think the stress, in my opinion, is worth more than the, any information that would be gained from it. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think you're going to see some waivers at the state level and ultimately at the federal level as well. Mr. Ford, we do have an email with a question uh, and the question is, how is the Volkswagen diesel settlement part of school bus funding in Russell County? Do we have Volkswagen buses? I can answer that, but I'll give you the opportunity because you probably okay. know it just as well as I do. <laughs> well, maybe not as well as you do because you you helped pass that bill. But it is the, um, uh, <laughs> you know, with the Volkswagen controversy, and um, everything that they had, they had a settlement money, and states got to decide how they were going to use that um, that money with that controversy that Volkswagen went through. And um, and you all developed that plan, and we're very appreciative of that to where um, to reimburse or cut really in half of school districts' expense to buy uh, more efficient school buses. And that's it in a, in, a, in, a, in a nutshell. It's nothing necessarily related. Specific to Russell County, or really any of the districts, it's a it's a state settlement with Volkswagen that was pushed down. But you you could tell better details than that, Mr. Hoover. Well, that, that's that's it in a nutshell. There was a national lawsuit uh, against Volkswagen over some d defective products and other things, and there was a nationwide settlement, and the state of Kentucky participated in that nationwide settlement. And once those funds were received, as with any other funds, the legislature determines how those funds are spent. And so knowing that we were getting in the Commonwealth of Kentucky funding from this nationwide settlement with Volkswagen, the Kentucky General Assembly uh, three years ago, four years ago maybe, I'm not sure, um, passed legislation which said that the funding that the state received from this settlement could only be used to 
help school districts purchase buses and provide some funding to school districts for the purchase of new buses. And so we refer to it as the Volkswagen settlement money, but it certainly doesn't mean that we're purchasing or even have any Volkswagen buses. Uh, It's just simply that's the source of funding, and the state directed that money be used by school districts to purchase buses. Volkswagen don't make buses, I think. They, that saved Russell Which County. in turn saves school districts a whole lot of money. Absolutely. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But you know, that person that sent that email just made me think um, I should have done a better job of explaining that at the board meeting. And, and I appreciate that email because that makes me think a little bit more about, you know, you kind of just say things and then expect everybody kind of knows what you're talking about. Um, but that was a great question um, and one I would have had too. Had well, it shows that people were listening to. Uh, to, yep. to the local news the next morning because you said it's Volkswagen settlement money, so obviously Absolutely. some folks had questions about that. So Yeah, that's a good <laughs> question, yeah. Yep. Mr. Ford, we thank you for your time this morning and giving us an update, and as always, we appreciate the job you do. And it's not a it's not an tough decision, but uh, uh, we know that, that you work hard and you consider all factors and and we just want you to know we appreciate you and appreciate you being on the show today. Well, thank you all. Good people in Russell County make it all work for us. Thank you all. Okay. Michael Ford, superintendent of Russell County Schools on the program this morning, Tony. And and, uh, my goodness, what what heavy decisions uh, a superintendent all, all across Kentucky are having to make these days and uh, you, you know, you you see some school districts decided to continue with in-person, uh, and I'm not being critical of them. That's a decision that those local folks made. Uh, but then you see soon after that, they go back to virtual, and you see what's happening in Pulaski County right now. I mean, they had uh, 99 cases yesterday, new cases in Pulaski County. Um, and I talked to someone last night up there and said se- several of those are emanating from the school district. So uh, just tough decisions, really tough decisions, unprecedented times, decisions that no previous superintendent really has ever had to make. Not, uh, not, in, not in their lifetime. No, not in the last 102 years. Yeah. So. But uh, I think, Jeff, the, the decision that, that we made to stay virtual, I, I, I don't think uh, going virtual, then in person, and then back and forth, that back and forth I don't think is, is good. It's bad enough the way it is. Yeah. So if we have to, let's stay virtual until we can get, hopefully, uh, this, this curb down and, and these numbers start to come down. It looks like the vaccine's on the horizon, so maybe that'll take care of it. Yeah, I read a great story last night. Uh, 95% effective rate on the vaccine produced by Pfizer and by uh, BioNTech, Bio, I, I think is the pronoun, uh, correct pronunciation. So two different companies there with the vaccines, both about 95% effective. Uh, that thing is poised to get FDA approval within the next uh, couple, three weeks. And then the uh, plan to distribute uh, the vaccine will uh, will have to be carried out. So, uh, you know, hopefully first of the year, several weeks from now, we, uh, uh, we'll see that vaccine being distributed across this country. And uh, I know everyone is, is certainly ready. And I, w- I want to send a shout out this morning to our health care workers uh, here in Russell County. Uh, Preview to some information of what our health care workers are seeing. And Tony, these are healthcare workers that are working 12, 14, 16 hours a day, some of them straight 24s, uh, providing care for people and being exposed uh, to the virus. Uh, and yet, you know, they have families at home, as you and I do, and go home, want to go home at night to be with their families, and many times they can't. And I, and I just think sometimes we don't uh, pause and, and just think about what they are facing every day. And I'm talking to uh, Judy Chenoweth this morning from Russell County Hospital, Director of Nursing, and what a great job she does and, and the folks there. And, and 
and I, I just want to send a shout out to them. It's a it's a tough situation for everyone, but especially especially those healthcare workers day in and day out, and uh, the hours they put in, and the emotional and mental toll this whole thing is taking. That's right. Just kudos to them, and uh, what a great job they do. Tonight, Tony, big football game, Russell County, Warren East, first game of the postseason. Coach Ryan Richardson's team, I know you had the coaches show last night, undefeated district champs. Looking to make big things happen here in the postseason starting tonight? That's right. Uh, you know, there was a lot of worry, concern. We might not ever get here because of the pandemic. We were postponed last week. We had some games canceled because of uh, COVID. But uh, here we are, district champs hosting uh, tonight. Warren East Raiders come in. Lakers are 6-0. and Kickoff at uh, Ron Finley Field is at 7 o'clock. There are no tickets available. Those are already gone. But uh, – We'll have it all for you right here. You can listen to it on the radio, as always. And on the phone with us now is the athletic director at Russell County High School, Michael Carpenter. And, uh, Michael, good morning to you. Good morning, guys. We appreciate you being on the show with us this morning. Um, Michael, I know, uh, uh, as has been for several months, Something changes every day, seems like, in, in your role as athletic director. You got through another curve this week that we'll talk about in a moment in high school basketball. But let's talk about the big football game tonight. Russell County, postseason play, getting to host the post, uh, first and, May, and second round of the uh, postseason. And uh, I know you have to be excited for Coach Richardson and his team and their postseason play starting tonight. Yes, uh, we're just really excited. The players have been working so hard. Of course, they had a couple of down weeks. Last week, we had a little curveball through at us, and it got postponed to this week. But just super proud of Coach Richardson, his staff, and our group of young men, and can't wait to see them take the field tonight at Ron Finley Field. Um, they, they've had a great year. Of course, as Tony said, they're 6-0. and uh, District 2, Class 4A champion, so uh, it just has a really nice ring to it. Michael, uh, let's talk about some of the sports that uh, already completed their schedules this fall. Tell us how those went uh, for the Lakers. Uh, we had a great season of fall sports. Our, our, both of our golf teams uh, did excellent again this year, having people qualify for state. Our volleyball team, of course, we got to host the fourth region volleyball tournament this year. It was the first time in 17 years. Uh, and uh, our, our volleyball team played a great first-round game, beat Allen County Scottsville, and made it to the Final Fours of the region. So that was exciting. Uh, our cross-country team, I couldn't be any more proud of them. They qualified for state. This is the second year in a row. And, and also, uh, one of our Lakers seniors, Justin Stearns, he finished 25th overall, but he also made all-state first team for cross-country. So that was a milestone for our program. Uh, to my knowledge, he's the first all-state cross-country runner we've had. And then our soccer team. You said, you said he's already. Soccer. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Tell us about soccer. I know that's something that's caused uh, quite a bit of excitement as well. Yes, our soccer team, this was the first year that we put a varsity soccer team for both both boys and girls. It had been a co-ed team when we had it about 12 or 13 years ago, but they both made it out of the district and got to play in the regional tournaments in Bowling Green, so it was a very successful first year for both of our soccer programs. And about Justin, uh, Tony had a comment about Justin. Michael, you, you were telling me a few days after he – he finished uh, competition. You saw him working out. Uh, he might be able to go to college on a scholarship for that. Yes, Justin has some, some colleges that's interested in him. And, uh, you know, like I said, it was just a couple of days when we finished the cross-country state meet and I'm on campus doing something of an afternoon. And there's Justin. He's starting to get in shape and get ready for track season. So uh, he's just a hard-working young man, and we're very proud of him. That's great, and uh, yesterday Clay Anderson, senior golfer, uh, announced he'd be signing a letter of intent with Lindsey Wilson to play golf, so uh, another good story from fall sports. 
Oh, what yeah. about uh, uh, soccer, uh, Michael? I want to ask you about that. Are, do we have youth league in place for soccer? Is that something that's being worked on, or as uh, I'm not aware? Yes, Tell yes. us about that. Yes, when we started this process about five years ago, when I came on as athletic director, uh, we used the guidance with the KHSAA, and they requested a youth soccer program be in place. And we're very fortunate to have a strong youth soccer program at First Baptist Church. Uh, it's called the Stars. And then, uh, then we started a youth league soccer program. Some of the, some of the community members. And in the following year, they recommended us adding a middle school program. So we added that middle school program the following year with both boys and girls. And then they recommended to do a JV team. So last year was our first year of JV soccer. And then this year we got to move into a full varsity schedule, varsity team for both boys and girls. Good, good. And what kind of participation level do you have in youth league soccer? Oh, uh, we have great numbers in youth league soccer. I don't have the exact number, uh, but we we have several teams at each age division. So we have a lot of a- activity with our youth soccer programs here in the county. And you know, I uh, I don't think we have a youth league volleyball, but I know there's been some discussions of getting a youth league volleyball uh, program started as well because it's so important to develop those young ladies for middle school and high school. Oh yes, it is, and I know Coach Womack. That's one of the things she would like to do is get a youth league volleyball program started, and it just helps expose the. Uh, the younger kids to get a little taste and feel and see see what it's like to compete and play a different sport and gives them a you know that that may be the sport that they wind up preferring once they're exposed to it and then by the time they get to middle school they've learned the basic techniques and then by the time they get to high school they're ready to go yeah and and this week i guess uh, wednesday the high school athletic association threw you another curve as they did everyone across the state and delayed the start of high school basketball until January the 4th. Uh, tell us about that. Uh, yes, the, the KHSAA Board of Control met on Wednesday, and, of course, they had their working session first. I watched that, as many other people in the state of Kentucky. And then when their board meeting came into place, uh, they voted to – to not start winter sports, especially basketball, till January 4th, given the current situation. So when when they moved the start date for basketball, that was option two. They had several options on the table. Uh, but essentially what that did was shorten the basketball season but still allow us to have a district tournament, a regional tournament, and then the goal was to be able to have the March Madness State tournaments still in the month of March. So when they made that move, it automatically shifted swim, competitive cheer, and dance, and bowling also as a January 4th start date. Uh, there's been a little bit of confusion on uh, official practice starts and things, and, and, and what they informed us after the meeting was that December 14th now will be the first official start date for winter sports. And where it became confusing for people is October 27th, they had pushed it back from October 15th. We had already been practicing because that's what the guidance was at that time. But with every day changing things, this is just another example. So so what we have done here in Russell County after meeting with Mr. Ford and Mr. Gossage and, and Mr. Ellis, uh, we, have, we have shut all sports down till December 1, and we're going to evaluate the numbers December 1, except football. We're allowing them, since it's the playoffs, to play in the playoffs. Uh, and then the December 1 to December 14th time frame would be an open gym conditioning in the small segments and pods bringing them in as recommended by the health department. And then that way, on December 14th, they'll be in shape and conditioned to be ready to start their season. So no practice uh, at least until December 15th. Yes, uh, December 14th is going to be the first official practice for winter sports okay. after the change came on Wednesday. Okay, and first game 
that week of January 4th. Yes, January 4th. And I have had several people ask me what the recommendation as far as the scheduling. We had three district games scheduled in the month of December. So what we're going to have to do is start January 4th, and Coach Carson and Coach Blankenship may have to drop some non-district games in order to work those district games in because they're going to allow us three games a week for those eight weeks. So the season now becomes a 24-game season. Um, so, you know, there, there have been some questions about that. And I know middle school basketball for boys, I've had several reach out to me. Uh, they are adjusting the schedule. I talked to the commissioner of the Central Kentucky Middle School Athletic Conference. They will begin their games in January as well and play a condensed season. And then middle school volleyball will start immediately after that. So, um Three games a week beginning January the 4th will take us up to district tournament, which I think has been pushed back uh, a week or two weeks, right? Yeah, district tournament right now, if nothing changes, will start March 1st. So that's, okay. that's a couple of weeks later than we're used to. And then the regional tournament will start March 8th. And then we're still they're still working with uh, Rupp Arena officials in Lexington to get exact dates set for the boys and girls state tournament because there's a prior uh, there's a prior commitment in one of those weeks so we're going to see how that plays out. Well, certainly a lot of changes, Tony. Yeah, and uh, Michael, as you said, that that schedule you you could be scheduled to play somebody on a Thursday and come Monday you're not going to be able to play them and you're going to have to turn around and play someone else. Yeah, and and that's one of the concerning factors too with them condensing the schedule. You're basically playing a, an eight-week schedule there. You're playing January and February, and then March trying to start the district. And, and the way these numbers and, and with the uh, with the COVID situation, at any time, any program, you know, we could be shut down for 14 days. Uh, so that's gonna that's gonna put you in possibility of losing six of those games, probably. Yeah. Well, Michael, we appreciate you coming on the program today and talking with us and. Appreciate the job you do as athletic director, and it's all moving parts as we move through this pandemic. But uh, keep up the good work, and we'll get through it. Thank go Lakers! You, and I just want to say, yeah, go Lakers! I want to say a special thank you to WJRS. You're all always great to help us get the word out, communicate to the people, and 51 years of supporting athletics is, is just uh, phenomenal. So I want to thank all of you all. Well, you're welcome. We appreciate you, Michael. Have a good day. You too, bye. That's Michael Carpenter, Athletic Director for Russell County Schools, talking about uh, fall sports and uh, the changes coming up in basketball and trying to finish up the football season with a really good team that we have. And they begin postseason play tonight. And um, just a lot of exciting things happening, Tony, if you're a Laker fan. Great time to be a Laker. I'll tell you, tonight's game, of course, at Finley Field, kickoff, as I said, 7 o'clock, tickets already sold. So, uh, And that's the sad part about it, Jeff. We've got a good team, and a lot of people can't see them because of this pandemic, but uh, we'll bring it to you right here, Josh Branscombe and myself. 6.30 is our pregame, and kick at 7, uh, Warren East, uh, the Raiders and the Lakers tonight. And just uh, to say it once again, if the Lakers win tonight, they advance to next week's uh, uh, second round of the state playoffs. And again, they get to host that game, right? It'll be at Ron Finley Field. That's the benefit of being district champion. You uh, you get to host the first two rounds. Of course, you have to win to get there. Yeah. But, uh, you know, last year we were on the road and we had to go down to Franklin Simpson in the first round, and we lost to the defending state champ last year. But, uh, you know, first two games at home is pretty nice. Let's, yeah. let's go tonight uh, with a win, hopefully. So be sure and listen to uh, Tony and Josh uh, tonight. Kickoff 7 o'clock at Ron Finley Field. Pre-game activities right here on Laker Country 104.9 at 6.30. So, um, Tony, we're trying to get in touch with uh, Matt Cole. Uh, and haven't been able to do that yet, but we'll keep trying to, to get in touch with him to get him on the phone. And I know we want to talk about the change in driver's licensing. And, um, again, if you have 
ideas or suggestions uh, Tony and I have received. We do have him on the phone now, but I'll say this. We've received uh, uh, numerous requests for potential topics, and we're working on uh, some of those. Some are just uh, beyond the time capabilities that either of us have to put that together, but we are working on uh, a lot of different things moving forward. And uh, the, the 2021 session of the General Assembly coming up in January at some point in time, we hope to talk to uh, Senator Max Wise and new State Representative Josh Branscombe will be sworn in the 1st of January get them on the program, and just a lot of different things uh, moving forward. But one of the changes that we're going to see, Tony, is a change in where people get their driver's license. And I know um, you've been involved in this, and it's a state mandate, and we have Matt Cole that will be joining us in a moment, but just tell us what's going on. Circuit Court clerks in the Commonwealth of Kentucky for over 80 years have been issuing a driver's license and uh, ID cards. That is getting ready to change with the new state law. The uh, Department of Transportation Division of Driver Licensing has decided that uh, a regional model will work best. Of course, in, in play with this is the real ID that uh, is a federal mandate and part of the uh, uh, 9-11 Commission Homeland Security. Uh, Russell County is right between two regional offices. We have a regional office in Somerset and one that uh, opened recently in Columbia and we anticipate uh, you know maybe by summer we're not really sure there's no really no date on that because of the pandemic uh, folks will be going uh, to either one of those places to get their driver's license it's going to be a big change it's going to be uh, you know really hard for a lot of people to get used to because they're used to coming in uh, now into the judicial center and used to be of course the courthouse when we were over there but uh, you know the state is looking at these regional models and uh, going to try to provide uh, this service uh, to the people and uh, I'll have to say this uh, the folks at those regional offices and I, I know them they are very great uh, to work with I, I sent Larry Holt over there Jeff our magistrate and, and you know Holt will tell you the way it is <laughs> and, and he was needing the real ID so he and Dina went over to Columbia and uh, he called me after he got back, and he said, "If uh, they treat everybody as good as they treated me, he said this is going to be a good, good program." That's uh, good. That's but of good. course, their, their numbers are going to increase. But uh, that is a big change that's coming. It's uh, it's something that I will tell. You know, when Matt joins us in just a second, I was opposed to it. I wasn't in favor of it. I still really am not. But it's coming. It's state law. But uh, and I'm going to support it and uh, help with the trans transition the best we can. I think Matt's on the phone now, uh, joining us now. Matt, good morning. You with us? Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, great to have you. And uh, we were just talking just a moment ago about that change. You know, uh, you and I had a discussion prob almost two years ago about uh, about what was coming. And, uh, you know, Matt, I, I, we're from a rural county. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still really not in favor of driver's license leaving the clerk's office. But it is the law now, and uh, we're going to hopefully smooth this over into a transition. I, I think the regional offices that you've opened uh, have worked very well. Uh, we agree. We agree. And we've been very fortunate to have such a great team that's been allowed to, to move so quickly to open up all of these locations that we have now. We're over 11 regional offices across the state, and we have another five or six field offices that are also doing issuing on a little smaller scale until we can ramp them up to, to bigger capacity. Matt, one of the problems we've had with the pandemic, you've had to close some regional offices. Columbia uh, has been closed. Is that open now? No, sir. It, it will not be opening until the 24th, uh, and that's a, an estimated date. We obviously have to work with all the local health departments to make sure that we follow all of their regulations and guidelines. Of course, the whole entire office got a complete uh, sanitizing, so it's it's clean. It's ready to go. All of the employees have been at home in uh, quarantine. Uh, a lot of them can still work from home, but just to make sure that no one shows up with any symptoms. Uh, we, you know, we want to make sure that all of these experiences are not only first-class customer service, but we want to make sure that it's safe for both the employees and our customers that are coming in. Matt, how many regional offices will you be opening? 
on schedule right now, we're looking somewhere between 25 to 30. Uh, when we run those numbers, it seems to give us really good coverage geographically because we want to be close to everyone. We don't want to inconvenience anyone that says, you know, now I have to drive so far. We want to put something that's close to, to each other. And that's why with, with Russell County, you know, we're so glad that, you know, we, we have Columbia on one side and Somerset on the other uh, that way people can go to which one's convenient for them and, and wherever they go in their travels, if they're in Bowling Green, Elizabethtown, Frankfurt, Lexington, Richmond, Jackson, uh, Prestonsburg, you know, whatever works for them because, you know, the law used to state that everybody had to go to their circuit clerk's office in their county of residence. Well, sometimes that could be a little inconvenient because maybe they work several counties over. Maybe they're constantly on the road. So now, you know, we, we're trying to find those positives to know that they can go to any of our offices, whichever one's most convenient for them. And, you know, we're also looking down the road that we, you know, we're probably not too far away from eventually having online renewals. So, uh, you know, we'll do everything we can to make sure that that, that things are convenient for all the citizens of Kentucky because, you know, we are too. And, and you know, it makes no sense for us to be restrictive or in, in bad locations. So, you know, it's something that's always on the, the forefront of our strategy for bringing these credentials to the state. Matt, this is Jeff Hoover. Uh, appreciate you being on the show. Let me ask, is there a date or a deadline that you want to get driver's license out of all circuit clerk's offices? Well, by law, we have to do it by June 30th of 2022. Now, of course, when we first passed that law, that was put in with a lot of cushion to say, you know, we won't need it, we'll be very aggressive. And then, of course, you know, per Murphy's Law, a pandemic shows up. So that has, uh, that has impacted the plan. Uh, due to the, the work at home and work uh, safe uh, guidelines that we have, we can't fully ramp up these state these uh, locations. And then with the circuit clerks not being able to fully staff, right now it really takes all of us collectively to, to bail water to be able to cover all of the state's needs. But now that we kind of see on the horizon that we hear about some vaccines that are that are being reviewed very positively, we, we hope that that's that positive transition that we need to really gain steam because as we add these locations, we have to add staffing and then bring them up to full capacity. Once we start to do that, then we can address it as each host county that has a regional office to go ahead and shut that clerk down and then move to the surrounding counties. So it's, it's going to be a little reactive due to the pandemic. But, of course, we're constantly having our, our thumb on the pulse to find out where's our next move, what can we do. Because we know that the constitutional duties of the circuit clerk are to perform the, the duties of the circuit court. And um, we know that you know there's always a ton of things for them to do. They're overworked. They're understaffed. So we know that when we are able to pull that duty from them, that's going to give them a, you know, a lot of relief. But we just don't want to be in such a hurry to have that one objective marked off the list that we do a, dis a disservice to the citizens. Yeah, and I think we need to be clear for our listeners that these changes really are a result of a federal mandate from several years ago called uh, real eye and in all honesty Kentucky was one of the last states to pass real ID in some form and so compared to many other states Kentucky was late in implementing the real ID requirements is that a fair statement it really is you know we're, we're glad that Oregon and and Oklahoma are out there to make us look good as they kind of pull up their <laughs> wagons last but uh, you know the good thing with the real ID program is it's voluntary so if people look at their lifestyle and they look at their travel habits and they say you know I do want one to do those things which you know we know the big flags are after uh, the enforcement date which is currently slated for October 1st of 2021 
that enforcement date by the federal government will will go to DHS. It'll it'll go to uh, you know all the federal buildings. So at that point, to get on a commercial domestic flight, you'll need a real ID compliant document. Now that right. doesn't mean you have to have the Kentucky real ID. You can have a passport. You can have a military ID. So there's there's lots of different choices. But we can be one of those choices. Sometimes you talk to people and they say, you know what, I don't go anywhere. I don't do anything. I don't want it then that's why we still have the standard as an option. So that way people can really choose what works best for their lifestyle, and, and we're there to provide either one. And to enter into some federal buildings, you're going to have to have a uh, real ID or something comparable to that uh, as well. And and I think back to about um, five years ago, four, five years ago, I guess, when there was a push in Kentucky to pass Real ID, and the former governor was an advocate for that, and we passed it in the legislature, and then after we passed it, he vetoed it. <laughs> and so it put us about a year and a half behind of where we otherwise would have been in meeting the requirements of, of Real ID. That's correct, and it did, it did push things back a little further. Um, one of the benefits of the pandemic is they pushed the enforcement date back from this year at October 1st to next year. There's still a lot of buzz around D.C. that that, that may not be the final date, If depending on how, how long the effects of the pandemic linger. We know that, there, that the, the national level of, uh, of real ID compliance right now is only at about 30%. So that goes to show there's still a big population out there that hasn't gotten a real ID yet and we have to take into a, uh, account the economic impact. Um, the Atlanta airport said that it could cost them $20 million a day in business if, if that compliance number isn't higher. So there's a lot of things to still kind of figure out. But here locally at home, we just want to make sure that everybody knows that that option is available to them and that they can come see us. Uh, on our website, drive.ky.gov, we have the iDocument guide. We encourage everyone to go there and use it. it. You can put in all of your circumstances, whether you're a citizen, if you're, look, if you're a veteran. Uh, you can put all the input in there for who you are, and then you can select from the list that we have of which documents you want to bring. You can print it out. You can email it to yourself. You can do it for a friend or a family member. That way, when you come into the office, you feel confident. I have all the documents that I need. Uh, we don't want anybody to have to come back on that second trip. It always kind of hurts our heart, but unfortunately, all the requirements of Real ID are either state or federal requirements, and therefore, we have to, we have to follow that recipe. Matt, uh, before we run out of time, one of the things that uh, you approved or the uh, DOT had approved was renewing by mail. I think uh, during this pandemic that has been one of the best things. And we just want to remind people that uh, if you need to renew your license, and this is for everybody except commercial truck drivers, if you've got a CDL, you can do it by mail. And uh, you can go online and get the form. If you if you can't do that, call me and I'll uh mail it to you, but uh, that that has really worked well, the renewing by mail. That's one thing that we knew that we had to do just with the circumstance that we're given. It isn't ideal for the cornerstone of a credential issuing program, but you have to adapt to the circumstances. One thing before I go, I want to remind uh, the Russell County people that uh, please take out your license, take a look at it, see if it's expired or not. Currently, we show about yep. 850 people in Russell County have expired credentials, uh, they can pull them out, check them, come in, see you, come see us. That way we'll get them taken care of. Another thing they can do is they can uh, call us and give us their email addresses, and we'll send reminders to people at six months, two months, and one month prior to expiration. They can also sign up for the emergency contact program that we have in the event that they're in an accident and they want the next of kin to be alerted to the emergency. We have that service as well. So, you know, feel free to, to call us anytime and participate in either one of those programs. Matt, and I want to remind people that the, uh, pu the uh, public hours for traffic at the clerk's office, 9 to 3, and that's by the Supreme Court order. So if you need to come in and get your license, folks, or do anything else at the clerk's office, the hours are 9 to 3. We're there longer than that, but uh, those are the hours you can get in the building. And, Matt, we thank you so much for being on the program. A lot of really good information. 
I know you've got a tough task in getting these offices open and uh, just keep up the good work and come back on the program anytime. We appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. It's been a great time and, and we're always glad to come in here and share any information we have. All right, Matt Cole you, with the uh, Kentucky Transportation Cabinet. Tony, good program this morning. Very good. A lot of things uh, covered, you know, and uh, again, if you have any ideas for us, something you want uh, maybe us to discuss, uh, and it doesn't have to be a, a current event, it could be history. Then, of course, that's what I really Which like. Which we like, yeah. <laughs> uh, history, just let us know. Give us an idea. We appreciate it. But uh, um, if you have any questions regarding your license, give me a call at the circuit clerk's office. Remember those hours, 9 to 3 right now until we get through and these numbers maybe go down. That That's not going to change. Football game tonight, Russell County Warnies. First game of the postseason. Tony Kerr, Josh Branscombe, all the action for you right here on Laker Country. Pre-game activities on the radio at 6.30. For my co-host, Tony Kerr, I'm Jeff Hoover. Another edition of All Things Russell. You're listening to WJRS, Jamestown, Russell Springs, Kentucky. <laughs>